if you would turn in your Bibles or in your bulletin to Exodus chapter 33. We have a rather lengthy passage this morning. Um, I'm going to read a portion of it, but I'm going to depend on your memory for a little bit because the passage really doesn't even touch on my first point. So be patient with me. Those of you who are taking notes and uh, inclined to be critical, perhaps, in a good way, of those who are preaching, just be patient. We'll get there. With God's help, we'll get there. Exodus chapter 33, we'll begin reading in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. 
This is the word of the Lord. Play with, pray with me, please. Father, we, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this self-revelation that you have given to us. And I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that your Holy Spirit will guide our thoughts, guide my speech. May all that is said redound to your glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Little theologians, just a word to you. This is an easy one, okay? It's an easy one. I would like you to draw a picture of yourself. It can just be your face or it can be your whole body. But here's the thing. I would like you to take whatever you think is your most important feature. I mean, you may have lovely hair, or maybe it's your ears. Mine sort of stick out a little bit. Or your nose, or maybe it's your feet. And I want you to make those twice the size they normally are, okay? So like if it's your eyes, they're going to be massive eyes. You'll see why in a minute. All right. Not so little theologians. I'm headed to Ghana in about 10 days, God willing. And so my mind is much in Africa again. Um, and as I was thinking about an illustration this morning, I remembered an event that occurred back in 07, just after I had started, a couple of years after I'd started traveling to Africa. I had just flown into Accra, Ghana. We'd gotten off the airplane. Sam had met me. We went to the hotel, and we went for dinner. And when I got back to my room, someone had kicked in the door of my room and had stolen all of my electronics, everything, and my passport. Now, for those of you who don't travel, without a passport, I can't go home. I'm stuck in Ghana. I, I love Ghana. It's like a second home for me, but I don't want to be stuck there. I want to come home. So you can imagine my anxiety level starts going up. But it's okay. We go to the police station to fill out a police report. The police are incompetent. The guy hardly knows how to write out the form. I'm thinking, oh, this is not going well. I go to the American Embassy, you know, the place of refuge. Go to the American Embassy. They made me wait. And as I'm waiting, I'm fretting. And then I finally get up to the window, and the lady who's dealing with me doesn't care that I have lost my passport. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? And my anxiety level and I'll confess, my anger is going up. 
She hands me a sheet of paper. I said, what am I supposed to do with this? She said, fill it out. Is there anything else I'm supposed to do? Well, yes, you should get some passport photos. When can I come back? It was like pulling teeth to get information from this lady. And my anxiety and anger is going up. I'm doing everything I can. And it's not working. We go get the passport photos. That at least went okay. It was expensive, but it was okay. I went back to the embassy with the paperwork filled out and everything, and they said, you need the police report. Go back to the police. You begin to get the, the picture. And my anxiety level and my anger keep going up. I'm trying, I'm working, I'm doing what I can, and what I'm doing isn't enough. I'm going to just leave you there for a minute. And I want to talk to, to you about three things. First thing I want to talk to you about is an unworthy people. An unworthy people. And here is what I need to sort of have you remember because we can't read the passages. It would require about 10 chapters or more. Um, and then I want to talk to you about an audacious mediator. An audacious mediator. And then thirdly, we'll talk about an intimate self-portrait. An intimate self-portrait. First of all, an unworthy people. You remember Israel, right? Israel that had gone down into Egypt and they had multiplied in Egypt and they become a great people. But what we don't stop to think about many times is the fact that while they were in Egypt, they became essentially Egyptians. Egyptian culture was their culture. The Egyptian language, at least to some degree, was their language. They were Egyptians, and they didn't really care about God at all. It wasn't until Moses shows up, and that's another story altogether, but he shows up and he says, I'm here, Jehovah has sent me to rescue you. And they're sort of like, really? You? by yourself and your brother, you're going to rescue us. These people, from the very beginning, are doubting, they are argumentative, and they are unreliable. They are, if you will, a stiff-necked group of nobodies, proud of nothing and proud of everything. Rebellious rabble from Egypt. And God says, these are my people. Okay, so we pass on. We go through and, you know, they go out and they're leaving Egypt. They get to, you, rem you remember this, they get to the Red Sea. What happens? 
God maneuvers them actually to a point where they have no escape. And in great faith, they raise their hands and they say, oh, Lord, we know you brought us here. No. They complained. They, were, they began thinking, this comes back regularly, maybe we should just kill Moses and go back. All right? Five times. The Red Sea, the waters of Merah, the manna, the water from the rock, and then, best of all, pièce de résistance, the golden calf. At every point, all along the way, they get confronted with their sin, they go, oh. And then they say, everything the Lord has told us to do, we will do. And they don't. Eugene Peterson has a phrase in one of his books that I love. He calls it the sawtoothed history of Israel. They're up one day and down the next. They're up, rescued, and dancing at the Red Sea, and three days later, when they can't have water, they're complaining bitterly, and they're saying, Lord, you just brought us out here to die. What's, what's up with this? Sawtooth's history. Why is that in the Bible? Good stories, Sunday school stories. No. That's in the Bible because that's you. And that's me. Every one of us has a sawtoothed history where because we are so focused on what we can do, we are always succeeding and then crashing. And then, yes, we're, no, right? These people are unworthy. These people don't deserve the regard of a holy God. And so we get to the foot of Mount Sinai and the passage that we have read, they have just come off the golden calf incident. And I'd love to spend some time and camp there a little, but we don't have time. And Moses, the audacious mediator, goes to God in prayer. God says, Moses, step back. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to raise up a new people through you. I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to kill them. Now, we need to understand that when those kinds of things happen in Scripture, it's an anthropomorphism. That God is revealing himself in man form. 
he's teaching us something about his emotional life. God does get angry. And he was angry with them. But Moses, who knows God, he knows that this is a test for him. And so rather than saying, go get him, God, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. These are your people. What are the nations going to say if you destroy them? What about your testimony? What about your covenant? What about your faithfulness? And that in itself is audacious enough. And I can imagine God at that point just smiling. God smiles. We'll see that in the benediction. He's pleased with Moses. And that's where our text starts. These very things that you have asked. In fact, right before this, Moses says, please let me know your ways. I want to know how you function. How, what are your ways so that I can know you, so that I can... Glorify you. I want to know about you, God. And then in our text, he adds a second audit. Now, remember, this is on the heels of the golden calf. And Moses not only intercedes for the people, but audaciously, he takes it so much further. Let us know you. Because he's representing the people of Israel at this point. Let us know your ways. Teach us who you are. And then he says something amazing. Please, show me your glory. Show me your glory. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that? Probably not a bad idea. Show me your glory. All right, now immediately, I know, I'm watching your eyes, and everybody's, you know, sort of, their eyes are shifting back and forth. They're thinking, they're thinking show me your glory. He can't see his glory. It's going to kill him. Yeah, that's what God said. You can't. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Right in the middle of all that puts you in the cleft of the rock and so forth. Look right here. Uh, let's see, hang on. Verse 19 of chapter 33. Moses says in verse 18, please show me your glory. What does God say? He says, I will cause all my glory, right? To pass before. Is that what he says? Look at it. I know you're Presbyterians. 
but it's okay. What does he say? I will cause all my goodness. What is God's glory? God's glory is his goodness. How do I know? Well, I know that because I see it here, but I know that because of point number three, because that's where we're going and I need to spend the time there. God paints a self-portrait of himself for Moses. Now, you know, when artists paint self-portraits, it's always rather interesting because they oftentimes do it because they're trying to figure out who they are or they're trying to give a certain impression of who they are. You know, probably one of the more famous ones is that guy, that Dutch guy who cut his ear off, and he, you know, he, I can't say his name because I can't speak Dutch. We say Van Gogh, but that's not how they say it. All right. And there's a portrait of him with a bandage on the side of his, and what kind of a self-portrait would the God who is, totally self-aware and self-existent paint for himself. The God who is truth, what kind of self-portrait would he paint? Well, let's look at it. Because this is really, to me, this is fascinating. If God wants you to know anything about himself, if he says to you, here's what I want you to know about me, I'm going to tell you about myself, wouldn't you want to hear that? Well, of course you would. And so what does God do? God descends and he stands with Moses and he passes before Moses and he says, the Lord, the Lord God. Parentheses. English is a funny language. And at times it conceals more than it reveals. Whenever you come across in your Bible, the Lord, the word Lord in caps, that's different than Lord in lowercase, all right? It's a different word. We're translating, the, the translators are translating a word in Hebrew that the Jews wouldn't even speak. It was so holy. It's what we now have transliterated into Jehovah. But the point that I want to make to you is this. This is God's name. It is his covenant name. When we introduce ourselves to one another, we often will shake hands and we will say, my name is Dan. All right? doesn't really tell you a whole lot about me, but it is an introduction that opens the possibility of relationship. What God is doing is he is focusing on relationship. He's saying, here's my name. 
Moses already heard it. He heard it at the burning bush. He knew the name. But the Lord comes and says, Jehovah, Jehovah God. I want you to know my name. I want you to know I have not forgotten my covenant. I want you to know that that incident with the golden calf has not changed my mind. Your rebellion, your efforts, your frustration, your sin, I'm aware of all of them. And it has not changed my mind at all. So, I finally got all of my paperwork back together, finally got all of my pictures, finally got the police report, got everything I needed to have. And I took it back to the embassy. And by this time, steam is coming out of my ears. I am totally frustrated. I am angry. All it will take is one little trigger, and I'm going to go off. Great testimony, right? Because Sam Apong is driving me all over town as I'm getting more and more agitated. I go into the embassy. I've got my little packet of information. I sit there, not so patiently, and when I finally get to the window, it's a different lady. So I go back through my whole story again, probably with a bit of an attitude. And she says, it's no problem. You've got everything you need right here. I will prioritize your application. You're here in the country for two weeks. I will get you a passport. And if I can't get you a new passport, I'll get you a temporary passport so that you can get home. Here's my phone number. Call me if you're worried about it. Here's the best part of the story. The lady's name was Grace. God says, I have not changed my mind. I am still your covenant God. I am still Jehovah. I am still with you. But let me tell you about myself. And you're going to have to go back and read this and just think it through. He talks, first of all, about his character. And look at what he puts first. merciful and gracious. Golden calf, merciful and gracious. Do you see it? The contrast between their performance and his grace, his mercy. I've not changed my mind. I knew who you were when I chose you. 
And I am still a gracious and a merciful God. It's as if he makes that two times bigger than everything else. I want you to see this. I want you to know this. If I'm describing myself to you, I'm going to tell you what's most important about me. What's most important about me is that I am a covenant God and I'm merciful and I'm gracious. Don't forget it. But don't go there. This is not about you. God says, this is about me. This is who I am. And I am this way in the very face of your sin. In fact, it is your sin that provokes my mercy and my steadfast love. You see where he goes? Most of these are mercy words. He says, I'm slow to anger. Why does he want us to know that? Because we make him angry. We do stuff all the time that, were he not merciful, would make him angry, slow to anger. Are you hearing this? Some of you are just like, I hope many of you are just like me. You go through your days doing the best you can and blowing it repeatedly and thinking that somehow what that does to God is it makes him go more and more like this. I know he loves me. I had someone tell me this once. I know God loves me because that's his job. But I don't think he likes me very much. Can you identify with that? But here, we have this self-portrait. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in what? Fill in the blank. We would say holiness. It's not what he says. Abounding in steadfast love, chesed. Merciful covenant love that is drawn out to the needs of his people. I abound in that, he says. Not only that, but I abound in faithfulness. You can be as faithless as you like. I'm faithful. I abound in it. This is my character. This is who I am toward you, my sinful, rebellious, stiff-necked people. And out of that character, what does he do? It's like he realizes we, we keep trying to push this away. He says, I keep steadfast love for thousands. I maintain, I hold it right there, that steadfast love, that covenant love, I hold it right there. It's not going anywhere for thousands. Israel, covenant prayers, 
I hold steadfast love for thousands. And just so you don't forget, I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. Whatever it is you've done, it's covered under that. I forgive it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but down here it says, by no means will he clear the guilty. Yeah, it says that. Last. And I'll tell you this, honestly, he doesn't spare the guilty. And every one of us is guilty. But here's the gospel. He doesn't spare the guilty. He poured out his wrath at your sin. But not on you. If you are trusting in Christ this morning, he poured out all of his wrath against your sin. Did not spare the guilty. Oh, wait a minute. What does it say in Romans 8? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ. So you can read that phrase. He will not clear the guilty. You can read that phrase, and your mind should immediately run to the cross. And say, Lord, I'm guilty, but in Christ, I'm not forgiven this is a self-portrait that God gives us I would love to spend the next three hours just talking with you about this my heart needs this so much because I'm always going back to my performance. I'm always going back to how well I'm doing. And God says, I'm the covenant God. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. Don't go there. Trust that I am who I say I am. And the capstone of all of this is that when, after he finishes this, Moses comes back and prays once again, and he said, Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for because it is a stiff-necked people. We're stiff-necked. We need you to come with us. We need you to be in our midst. We have no hope except in you and in the fact that you are not like us. We delight in grace last. After we've exhausted all of our efforts, then we turn to grace. But God speaks of grace and mercy first and always. Pray with me.
thought that there's so much more in this passage, and I pray that you will open our eyes to see it. Forgive us for the fact that we think you are like us and that you respond to our sin in the way that we would respond. But in the very face of sin, you speak of mercy and grace. Thank you. We pray you would give our hearts peace in that knowledge. But we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.